my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend Jim Garrity from National Review. It's always a great time talking to Jim. Uh, we covered a lot. We talked about uh, uh, the latest from Dr. Fauci and then the incompetent, at best, uh, messaging from our, our health, uh, quote-unquote, experts. Um, we talked about um, uh, rising inflation, uh, how uh, consumer goods are... are uh, costs are rising at, at, at an alarming rate and, uh, and what we can expect moving forward. We, we covered a lot. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, uh, guys, before I get to Jim, I want to say hi to our friends over at Bulk Munitions. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you're constantly looking for ammo. I know that because I am. Uh, and most uh, shelves at gun shops are out of just about anything. And that's when our friends over at Bulk Munitions come in. They have you covered. Um, whatever you need, whether it's two, two, three, five, five, six, nine millimeter, whatever you need, they have in stock, ready to ship fast. Uh, zero back orders, all orders ship uh, within two business days. Um, the, the folks over at Bulk Munitions are great, also, uh, b- because while there are a number of other decent online ammo retailers, um, these guys wanted uh, their work to serve a higher purpose. Um, that is why they give at least a minimum of ten percent of their profits to Christian-based and Second Amendment supporting charities. Um, They call it their ammo tithe, which is fantastic. And if that all isn't enough, guys, uh, they're giving uh, this audience a fantastic offer. The first 25 of you guys to use the promo code TNGP21 on an order over $100 will receive a free Blackhawk magazine case, either a soft-sided case for pistol mags or a hard-sided case for AR-15 mags. You get that on the house using the promo code TNGP21. Uh, You can see the special offer right now at bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. That is bulkmunitions.com slash TNGP. Use that promo code TNGP21 to receive a free free magazine case on the house. Uh, make sure to stock up on ammo. Uh, it's the right thing to do. And guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Jim Garrity. All right, guys, we're here with my friend Jim Garrity. Jim, how you been? Friday, it's good to see you again. Good to hear from you again. And uh, You know, all things considered, life is pretty darn good. Uh, I've gotten both jabs. My parents got both jabs. Wife, and almost everybody I know has gotten at least one so far, particularly if they had any, you know, health reason to be nervous. So, uh, yeah, life is gradually getting back to normal, at least in, in my end of the world. Yeah, glad to hear that, man. The, the only family members of mine I've been worried about, I have, I have a 92-year-old grandmother. <laughs> who's been vaccinated. She's in as good a health as a 92-year-old can be. And, and then my dad, who's uh, only 60, but has worked in a in a print shop for 40 years, so he has bad lungs from uh, mm-hmm. breathing toxins his, his entire career. But And he was vaccinated as well. So I'm, you know, and I'm 32 and healthy, so I'm like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of all I was I was worried about. But um, I want to start today, Jim, um, with, with our friend, Dr. Anthony Fauci. <laughs> um, and I, I'm trying to gather, um, I'm a simple man, so if I, if I miss something, 
uh, let me know. But I'm trying to gather his his position on all things coronavirus and what I can tell. I mean, the guy's been on a roller coaster ride for the last year plus, so it's hard to keep up. But um, what I can gather is his state of position is get vaccinated or be forced at gunpoint to live in a caste system as a second class citizen. Uh but also never leave your house or see your family or experience joy ever again. Um, and, also, you know, just fear the disease, whether or not you get vaccinated. And also, if you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, also live in fear for the rest of your life because you're probably going to die. Even though it maybe it may or may not have, and we'll get to that in a minute, but it may or may not have killed one out of the 6.8 million um, people who, who received the vaccine. So it's like this guy the messaging across the board from our quote unquote experts has been ridiculous but specifically anthony fauci i don't even know what to make of any of this nonsense yeah it's but we should point out that like what you said there brady isn't really a direct quote from fauci no it's i'm just you know a kind of conglomeration of, yeah yeah but yeah he's giving off and uh, earlier this week national review wrote a house editorial uh, basically arguing that Fauci is rapidly wearing out his welcome and that his message is changing from one appearance to another and there's inconsistency. Now, it's speaking for the magazine, so we can't say who wrote it and, you know, everybody weighs in. But let's just say I thought it was really well written and let you, you know, read between the lines on that one. Um, look, I, I, from early on, Fauci became the face of the pandemic response and the face of the lockdowns. And it wasn't necessarily fair because he doesn't have any actual power over this. This is being done by governors and mayors. But clearly his voice carries a lot of weight with a lot of policymakers. And right. you know, he was understandably cautious. Now, I, you know, in the early months, it's like, okay, yeah, we got to do this stuff. We got to definitely just stay in their homes. Um, it would have been nice. He, he, amongst other folks like Dr. Burks and Trump and other folks were saying two weeks to bend the curve. And that really didn't turn out to be uh, two weeks. Turned out to be right. a heck of a lot um, but the circumstances of our lives in March 2021 are very different than they are in March 2020. And it's one thing to say, hey, stay in your homes for a couple of weeks. We're going to have to ask you to close your business. We're going to have you to you know, eliminate all non-essential activity. But you can only ask people to do that for so long, both for economic reasons, for social reasons, for psychological reasons, keeping kids at school. You know, I guess we should give Fauci a little bit of credit. He's been fairly vocal about open schools. Um, maybe not vocal enough, yeah, well, as vocal like, but uh, you know, overall, he's been very, very cautious. And a lot of us saw vaccination as the ticket to getting back to normal. Once you have either of the, you know, and most of these uh, uh, vaccines in you, two weeks after your second shot for the Moderna or for the Pfizer or four weeks after your Johnson & Johnson shot, your body's got the antibodies uh, to, to fight this thing off and you're about as protected as you're going to get. You want to keep wearing a mask, you can. Um, but by and large, you're, you know, the other thing which is worth noting is they kept saying, well, we don't know yet yeah. about whether being vaccinated prevents you from being a silent carrier and spreading this on to somebody else. Well, we didn't know with 100% certainty, but all of the early studies had said uh, that they weren't seeing vaccine uh, viral loads. They weren't seeing viral loads in people who've been vaccinated. Uh, and they were doing things like swabbing the nostrils of, of, I think it was chimpanzees or some other primate that they were using in these tests. And they were not finding any. Well, if it's not coming out your nose, you're not breathing it out, and you're much less likely to do it. Subsequent ones of people who were uh, among the first vaccinated in Israel, anywhere from three quarters to 90% reduction in the amount of viruses that you are giving off if you are one of these silent carriers, if you're asymptomatic. Right. 
Well, that's pretty darn good. That, that's not completely eliminating it. But you, you know, if you said to me, uh, Jim, you got to go into a place and some of these people, they're vaccinated, uh, but they have the, the virus, but they're you know, 75 to 90 percent less likely to spread it. Well, you put a mask on that person, you put a mask on me, then I'm fine going to the movies. I'm fine being in a closed space and all that stuff. And even if I take off the mask, well, now I'm vaccinated. So I know that my body's going to have a pretty good sense of this. So at this point, you're like, okay, what threshold would we need to see to get back to normal life? And yet, one, the CDC took forever to come out with guidelines for the people who are vaccinated. Right. And when they do, it was basically you and other vaccinated people <laughs> are allowed to hug, and it's probably okay to hug your grandkids. Yeah, that's that's a real that's really not much. And you, you know, travel. We said, well, we don't want you to travel yet. Uh, and you can understand the airlines, you know, having kittens when they uh, uh, heard that that news. You know, the other thing, the next thing is you'd see you know, you'd see this advice saying, look, you, you can't really change that much after you're vaccinated. And then, gee, why are people not as enthusiastic about getting vaccinated as we think they should be? Right. Gee, do you think any of these might be connected or anything? So I, I started out as a. Um, you know, fairly, fairly solid supporter of Fauci and thinking he was making the right call. I realize it's a very tough job. Uh, but also along the line, he mentioned that he would periodically shade his advice based on what he thought people could hear. His yeah. threshold for her kept going up 5% each, yeah, about, <laughs> about a month or so. Started out, yeah, we might have to have 60, 65% before we turn, we reach her community. I think his last interview, he was like 80, 85%. Well, we don't know what that threshold is. No, no. But then he, got, he got asked about it by, um, I believe it was Donald McNeil of the New York Times. Right. Uh, formerly of the New York Times. He's now the most dangerous man on earth, according to New York Times staffers. <laughs> science reporter. He used that bad word on, on a field trip with those high school students. Yeah. Um, but anyway, in that interview, Fauci said, yeah, I kind of adjust what I, you know, what I say based on what I think people are ready to hear. The thing and is, I heard that, like, like uh, Dr. Fauci, it's not really your, just just give it to us straight. Just tell us what it is. I, I think I, I think that's who Dr. Fauci is, and that that's the thing. I and I want to get to the the overall messaging from um, the FDA and CDC, and then around the Johnson Johnson thing, they they pulled the rug out from Johnson Johnson. I want to get that in a second, but I'm going to go bad on Fauci real quick, and I, I hope you can feel free to uh to just tell me I'm completely wrong and way off base here because I am a libertarian. So when when sure. we see, I think. You know, you and I differ when we see either politicians or, you know, political entities. And I'd say Fauci, you know, is on that list uh, that we don't like. You, you see incompetence and I see evil. Yeah, you know, like you like if you see, you know, a, a, a Democratic politician just pushing these bad policies, you see like the adults from uh, Charlie Brown, just like these bumbling morons. And I see Joseph Stalin wherever I look. I, I see I see communism yeah. everywhere. I get, and that's my own blind spot. I, I, I know that. But like I, I get that all of our and we've seen this clear as day the last 14 plus months our, our medical experts and, and and the bureaucracies that they represent are completely incompetent and we understand that but i think fauci like i'm to the point where i'm i'm like fauci's worse than that he's something worse than that and i i get that most conservatives say you know fauci's a good guy he's just kind of a dummy he means well he's just he's messed up a lot of stuff I, i'm to the point where i'm like look this man is the country's most dangerous sociopath <laughs> okay I mean, like, it seems to me like this pandemic is the best thing that's ever happened to this guy. The the, the smugness, uh, you saw in, in, in interaction with Rand Paul uh, when he was being questioned by Rand Paul a couple weeks ago, just the smugness and, and arrogance. And it's to the point where it's like, it's it's creepy. And I understand that as a general rule, we shouldn't attribute malice when, when Occam's razor suggests that stupidity is the culprit. And typically in the world of politics, that's true, right? I mean, that's typically, typically in 
any human relationship that's true. I understand, you know, like when you argue with your spouse, the, the person's probably not trying to hurt you. They probably just said something stupid. Like, I, I just understand that that's typically true. But, it, like, if, if, if Fauci was this aggressively unintelligent as a human being, as he would have to be, to not be a nefarious actor here, he wouldn't have finished med school. <laughs> okay, I'm like, he has to be a, a bad actor because it's like if if he were trying to hurt people and destroy lives and and hurt our way of life, uh, our, our way of life as, as as Americans, what would he be doing any different? Yeah, I, like I, I I'm to the point where I'm past incompetence with Fauci. I think he is something much much worse, much more malignant than that. Okay, I'm going to disagree in part, and I'm going to agree in, agree in part. The, the, the disagreement of Fauci being the most dangerous sociopath in the country. Brady, I'll remind you, Adam Gase is free to coach any football team <laughs> hire him. So that, yeah. You know, my, Sam Darn- you know Sam Darnold's going to the Pro Bowl this year, right? There you go. Um, so there, there's that. You know, I, I don't see him as a dangerous sociopath. What I will observe, and I think probably feeds into the cultural force that, Anthony Fa- that Dr. Fauci has turned into, is the hero worship that tends to happen to just about anybody. Yeah. Remember like three years ago when Robert Mueller was was like the goddess or the, the god of, yeah. of the progressive left and you saw the prayer candles and the signs that said in Mueller we trust and then he comes back with this report and says, Yeah, there's there's no collusion. Well not and just also, that not just that, Jim. The the, the striking yeah. thing about that was when he find because he didn't talk to the press, he didn't talk to anybody for two years yeah. or however long that was, and he comes out sounding like Joe Biden. Are, you know, a man, a man, like he comes out sounding like an eighty-year-old man in decline. And you're like, oh man, yeah. this is your guy. This is your. This is like. It was amazing to see how quick the left flipped from yeah. you know, Robert De Niro playing him on Saturday Night Live, and he's the ultimate tough guy, and he's like a Mountie who always gets his man to look. He's a bumbling old man. <laughs> That's why he couldn't find the evidence. You know. It's King um, Leonidas to to that in in yeah. thirty seconds. Yeah. Yep. So the, the the cultural hero worship of Fauci got pretty annoying to yeah. me pretty fast. I, I, I respect the man, but I don't like the fact that somebody comes along who very often is in opposition to Trump or some other Republican figure, right. and then they instantly become not merely uh, a respected figure. They turn into a demigod who, right. who people almost like almost like religious idolism. I guess like the, the political prayer candles. I don't have the authority to ban them, and it probably would offend a lot of libertarian sensibilities. But if I could get people to not do that, yeah. not just as a Christian, but just as a person who thinks right. it's not healthy to put anybody up on that kind of, yes. you know, like, you know, to be a saint, you do have to perform four miracles. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> yes. you can count a saint. Yes. So, anyway, so there's, there's that fact. I, I definitely don't like the way, and there, there's a broader sense in which um, a lot of politicians, almost entirely Democrats, but maybe you could find a few Republicans, cite, Science, uh, not merely in all capital letters. If you're Gavin Newsom, yeah. it's not just it's not just the and it's very. Um, she blinded me with science music video. Magnus yeah. Pike, science. Yeah. You know, yeah, that this is this authority we cite that is the all the end all and be all. Can overrule the Constitution, can overrule popular will, can right. overrule kinds of other things because science says yeah. we need to do this. Um, that's not really the American government way of doing things. Yes, a, a pandemic can be an extraordinary uh, factor, but I think something most of us on the right have been arguing throughout this. Should you listen to scientists? Absolutely. Do they need to seat at the table? Absolutely. But a political leader has to keep taking into account not like our health considerations important. Yes, of course. But you can't expect people to economically give up their entire lives. 
consequence. You can't people to give up uh, their social, cultural, psychological consequences of something like a lockdown or school closures for so long. So like, you know, a leader's job is to kind of take it all in and to look at it from all those perspectives and to say, all right, what's the policy that gets us the best balance, minimizing the public health threat, but allowing people to live their lives? Because I think I, there was a big, I don't know about you, there was a big psychological change in me around mid-March. I, I think, you know, I, my kids remember March 12th was their last day of in-person school uh, in 2020. And, um, you know, things changed fast, right? That, that one night where, you know, the NBA announced they were canceling the season, yeah. Trump pressed the country, put in some travel bans, Tom Hanks got, and all of a sudden it went from this, hey, this, you hear about this crazy stuff going over yeah. in China? Wow, this is, this is pretty good. This could be as bad as Zika. Well, I mean, to, to your credit, Jim, it's 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 worth mentioning you were you were covering this story since January of last year, <laughs> and you you were one of the first, if not the first, at least in conservative media, to to even cover um and anything going on. You know, when we first started yeah. getting reports out of, out of Wuhan in you know early January last year. Yeah, and some of this is just my reflexive distrust of the Chinese government. But I think I remember. I, I can tell you exactly. Um, I was, it was a link on Twitter and I've gone back and linked to it a couple of times. They were spraying something in the streets of Wuhan. It was this thick fog-like gas. I guess they were trying to disinfect stuff. And it just looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. And the streets yeah. were abandoned and, and it was coming out of this like cannon on the back of a truck. And I was like, they don't do that for the regular flu. <laughs> no. We didn't no. go through this. Americans generally don't remember the first SARS because it hit Asia right as we were starting the Iraq war, which was kind of a big deal at the time. Right. Um, MERS, uh, Zika, H1N1, none of these things really disrupted American life that much. If you wanted to completely ignore that, the, the, they just were not that big a deal. Ebola was something of a bigger deal, but I think they had only like, you know, a handful of cases here in the U.S. Yeah, I think two, one or two people died. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. You know, this was something different. And I think when China you know, started putting shut, you know, shutting down parts of Shanghai and Beijing, that's to me was the flashing, you know, neon sign of, you know, danger, danger, because the communist Chinese are not going to shut down their two biggest cities over nothing. Generally, the, the Chinese government generally doesn't care about its people. Right. Right. They're, they're not nice guys. They no. Tiananmen Square. They are. They don't care. You know, the Uyghurs, they don't care who they have to kill to stay in power. No. So if they're willing to take the economic hit from shutting down you know, big cities like that. They must be frightened of something really bad. And eventually we all saw just how bad and serious it could be. I'm getting on my usual, you know, ranting and ranting. <laughs> so I'll pause, even though, you know, I can talk about this for a long story. Absolutely. So let's, let's change gears here. Cause you have a couple other sure. things I want to, want to, want to hit. Um, I, I, I just going back to me being a libertarian and guys like me are, are constantly predicting, uh, economic catastrophes. That's <laughs> what if we, it's what we do when we wake up every morning. Um, unfortunately, and uh, a lot of the times we're wrong, thank God. Um, but consumer prices have been rising drastically. Mm. Even my, my wife, who who you know follows politics and, and follows what's going on, but not nearly as closely as, as you and I. She's like, we're spending about 150 percent at the grocery store every two weeks than what we typically do, and we haven't changed anything that we buy. I'm like, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, consumer prices are rising faster right now, at least in the month of March, than at any point in the last nine years. Um, gas is up 9% in March. Um, Jerome Powell goes in front of Congress every couple of weeks and, 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 and 
tells Congress that that we don't really need to worry about inflation. It's not going to be that big of a deal. I don't know if Congress has figured out that that Powell has a really dry sense of humor and he's, and he's being sarcastic. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. But I mean, obviously, we just passed, you know, two trillion in unfunded spending. We're probably going to another two trillion. Um, I don't know, maybe can maybe Joe Manchin can pull a rabbit out of his hat or something, but we're probably going to add another couple trillion in, in quote unquote infrastructure spending, whatever that means at this point. But like, and, and you know, I, I don't know how we avoid some serious inflation if we, if not a downright recession. I mean, it's not like the Federal Reserve can do anything about this. The the, the only thing they the only tool at their disposal is to artificially suppress interest rates, which they've been doing for 10 years. So it's like, it doesn't, you know, that that's, which is supposed to, for anybody that doesn't understand, that's supposed to be like a shot of epinephrine, right? Like, you know, break glass in case of emergency. Yeah, exactly. They were, they've been keeping rates low when, when the economy was booming. I I just bought a new house. So like I enjoying, I got a 30 year fixed, remarkably low interest rate. So I'm, I'm fine to take advantage of it, but I, how do we avoid massive inflation? I mean, inflation since we haven't seen in, I have to say, the 70s or so. I don't see how you can print $4 trillion, $6 trillion, whatever it is, and, and not see some, some serious consequences. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with economic policy is you don't really see the consequences of your changes until generally at least a couple months down the road, and sometimes yeah. not a year down the road, but yeah, two years down the road. At least, yeah. Uh, we it, it may be already be too late. We yeah. can hope that uh, Manchin gets up on the wrong side of the bed and does everything <laughs> can to hold down the, the the infrastructure bill. But yeah, you know he's he first of all his interest is sending as much as possible to the state of West Virginia and rename. You know it's continuing the Robert Byrd tradition of the entire federal <laughs> government should be moved to West Virginia yeah. and rename him. Yeah, for, uh, for for people that that called. Uh, Joe Manchin, a moderate. He's never been moderate on spending. The guy, the guy's yeah. perfectly yeah. happy Social, to spend. Abortion, yeah. yeah, not beyond spending. It's never really been his thing. And right. this is look, this is a consequence of the Georgia runoffs. Yep. And the fact that the Democrats now a fifty a fifty one forty nine Senate. This would none of this stuff would be happening. No. It would be a dramatically different COVID relief bill. Mitch McConnell would still be Senate Majority Leader, and things would you know, may not be exactly everything the way we'd want, but it would be different than what we have now. Yes. Democrats have interpreted having 50 seats in the Senate as winning a massive majority and a massive mandate to enact all their policy change. And an observation is, look, you know, the Republicans can complain about the deficit, the debt and spending now. Republicans weren't exactly great on this no. during the Trump years. Donald Trump had no interest in the deficit, the debt. And people like me who say this stuff matters have to acknowledge there was no indication that Republican primary voters punished him for having this perspective in 2016. Nope. And there's no indication that general election voters punished him for having this perspective. So for a while, there was a broad bipartisan consensus. Deficits and debts don't matter. Uh, Modern monetary theory is, you know, we we can print as much money as we want. We can spend as much money as we want. We can borrow as much as we want. The rest of the world is never going to find a safer place to give to spend it, to give loan us money than here. We are the best. Everything will be fine forever. Money, Money will be fine. And I think that's not necessarily the case, but it's kind of it's difficult to shake this because this is, you know, I, I, back in 2014, I wrote a book called The Weed Agency, which was all about the federal bureaucracy and how tough it was to, you know, generally Republicans go to Washington seeking to cut the size of government and do something else. And that something else could be win the war on terror or, or you know, right. all kinds of other stuff. 
win the Cold War, right? And that something else always wins out over reducing the size of the federal government because, by and large, there just isn't that much. I mean, of if you're a if you're lucky, I mean, that's yeah, sometimes. You're lucky. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we, I, I, I think any change in the trajectory isn't going to happen before the 2022 midterms. And Biden, who, who you know, when it was you know with the Obama administration, who was never that worried about deficits and debts to begin with. Uh, now pretty much has bought into this idea that we can spend our way and the public will love us and nobody's going to mind. And, you know, Republicans, even if they did have the courage of their convictions and believe, no, we can't afford to spend this money. We've spent too much. You could justify some of this stuff as emergency spending during the pandemic. But as the pandemic winds down, we have to stop and we have to wind down that spending. We have to spend less. And that just even if they felt that they don't have leverage, they barely held together on most of these votes. But, you know, when you're in the minority, you're in the minority and they just got to hope for either, you know, enough Democrats start getting nervous about this or, you know, uh, some people keel over and Republicans win some special House elections or something. Yeah, I, you know, it's I, I don't even know if there's an appetite for fiscal responsibility on the right. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, there's nobody. There, it, I mean, there's, you know, Thomas Massey and Rand Paul and there's a, there's a couple guys, but there's not, I, you know, you go back to the Tea Party days. There were dozens and dozens of congressmen and senators and governors and, and you know, people at the state level elected on the, the platform of cutting spending. <laughs> you you oh. know what I mean? We had And just throughout uh, you know the last 20 years or so, I mean, when uh, Ron Paul ran for president, he had 20-year-old college kids chanting, end the Fed. <laughs> you know, but there, there's nobody even talking about that. I don't think there's a there's a political figure on the right who can inspire people to even care. I, it's 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 a problem with the general public. It's always comes down to the voters. If the voters don't punish people for spending money, then yeah. I, I don't I don't see how anything's going to change in the near future. Economic and fiscal issues, uh, aside from the lockdowns and such, are not really catching the public's imagination right now. Um, and in part, like there are a couple a whole bunch of reasons for this, but I'll make an observation that. Um, Probably the most powerful media voice on the right side of the spectrum, as much as I'd love to say it was it's National Review, it's not. Uh, it probably is Fox News. In terms of sheer viewers, in terms of sheer ability to get people's attention on a particular topic, it's there. Scary, well, but Fox, you're probably right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you can make arguments here and there for yeah. other ones, but um, but I, you know, Fox News primetime, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to get the biggest audiences, and if they talk about a particular pop topic— the next day, talk radio is going to be talking about it, yep. and lawmakers will respond, and social media, and, and stuff like that. And you're just not seeing the deficit and the debt be a big issue to the Tucker Carlson's of the world, or the Laura Ingram's of the world, or the Sean Hannity's of the world. And I don't want to throw tomatoes at them at this particular moment, but I'll just kind of observe that, like, if they're really mad about Dr. Seuss, well, then a lot of people are going to pay attention to Seuss. You know, I like, know. It's, I know. the culture war stuff, like, I can't begrudge people getting fired up about that. But in the end, like if I see one more story about you won't believe what this person wrote on a tip or wrote, wrote on the receipt of a waitress, <laughs> which yeah. like nine times out of 10 turns out to be a hoax. But this turns into a big, this this is like social media catnip. Oh yeah. And these weird little anecdotal stories, people love and relate to them and they get fired up about them in a way that like, hi, here's the debt. Here's the national debt. We had to add another zero to it. That's how big it's gotten. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's just not a big deal to people. It's not even just the cultural stuff. I, I think the cultural stuff is really important because I do think that that you know uh, Breitbart was right that politics is downstream from culture and all that. I I, I get that, but you're you're totally right about the Dr. Seuss stuff. And and even past that, it's like, um, it's not supposed to be a national story. Anytime mm-hmm. there's 
uh, a po- of police involved shooting. Anytime, anytime an African American is shot by a cop for any yeah, reason anywhere in the country, that's not supposed to stop the presses for a week. Like that's not normal. Like it's not normal yeah. that we know the names of every single victim of every crime coast to coast. Like it, there's 350 million people in this country. Like that's just not normal. And we spend so much time on this stuff. Not that police reform isn't important, and not that uh, this last one in. in Minnesota with the, the the cop mistook her Glock 19 for a taser and they what all this it's horrible it's a tragedy I get that but you know it it takes up all the oxygen from the room man like all, yeah. all the 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 critical race theory stuff all the cultural stuff and uh, I mean like Warren G Harding and Calvin Coolidge running on a platform of of don't trust the government for anything take care of yourself and do whatever you want <laughs> and we're not going to tax you um like that that platform loses <laughs> like they, they get blown out you know what i mean if, if they run on a 1920 ticket right now i don't think there's just an appetite for it and like you said fox probably is still the, the and that probably will change i think cable news especially over the next decade or so is um tech. i don't know if cable news is around in, t- in 10 years but um they you are absolutely right about that they don't put a lot of time into talking about uh, fiscal issues and I people are gonna feel it man people are gonna feel it I mean I, I talk yeah. to my friends I talk to people you know like oh man have you noticed that you know so, such and such is more expensive than it was a year ago and you know especially you know people are really complaining about food and uh, people feel food man because you have to go grocery shopping every week you're gonna feel it especially if you don't have a lot of money um, you're gonna tell I, you can tell eggs are more expensive than they used to be milk is more expensive than it used to be people are noticing it and uh, like I like you said I, I hope it's not too late to do something about it yeah, the only other thing I'd add to that is that um, gas prices aren't always the best measurement of, of the state of the economy or something, but having, like, they do have the advantage of the fact that they have big signs showing their price down to the penny uh-huh. that people drive by every day or walk by every day. Like, right. oh, that's how much gas costs. And they remember how much it was last week and how much it was last month and how much they're paying, you know. So it's kind of this big, if, if they had that same sign for eggs, <laughs> you right. know, but might have you know an interesting uh they might respond differently to it but yeah so it's look it, we're not going to do anything about runaway spending and its effect on inflation and the rest of our economy until we start to felt the pain and after we felt the pain it's almost too late we're, we're going to deal with it for a long stretch there yeah and i you know maybe if, if things get bad enough maybe that will spur another i don't know I, I guess the tea party movement wasn't all that effective except for getting republicans elected which, you know, I mean, it's great to get Republicans elected. I'm a Republican, don't get me wrong, yeah. but, um, you hey, know, maybe next time want, we can do something with it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't yeah. know. If you want to look at the rate of spending uh, of the federal government from, you know, Obama taking over in those first two years to what it was after Republicans took the House and then after Republicans took the Senate, they did reduce the rate of increase. Now, I know we can always argue about whether reducing the rate of increase genuinely counts as a cut. In it's, yeah, but, it, only in Washington, D.C. is that a, a yeah. quote-unquote cut in spending, yeah. Divided government does, you know, like it, it, it puts, it makes at least the men tap the brakes instead of press down the accelerator as mm-hmm. far as they can go. So there's there's that moderate effect. I don't want to overstate it, but I also want to give them a little bit of credit for it. Absolutely. So I know I got to let you go, Jim. I wanted to get to uh, the Biden's uh, statement on Afghanistan, but I guarantee we will still be at war in Afghanistan on Monday. So it's not, it's not, I don't think we're going to wrap that up this fast. I'll get to that then. Jim, where can everybody follow you online, read your, your newsletter, The Morning Jolt, which is fantastic. Where can everybody uh, check out uh, your latest book? Um, the name of it is escaping me at the moment, but it is very good. <laughs> I highly recommend it. All right, so first of all, nationalreview.com, I write in the corner. I write a morning newsletter called The Morning Jolt. The subscription link is right there on the site. 
five days a week. Um, Book-wise, uh, last fall, I came out with my second thriller, Hunting for a Horseman. Uh, it's part of a series called The Dangerous Click, which everybody hates. Uh, no one likes that subtitle. That's for the series, but they like the uh, the books themselves. Um, Hunting for a Horseman, I wrote it last spring and summer, as the pandemic was occurring. And I was just wondering, like, what is life going to look like after the pandemic? So I wrote it as taking place in the spring after the pandemic has ended. And know there's going to be spring 2021, spring 2022. Uh, and my group of heroes who, who work for the federal government, who work for the CIA, National Security Agency, FBI, liaison, groups like that. Uh, they call themselves a dangerous clique because they don't like working with the rest of the government. They kind of like being off the organizational chart and not telling anyone what they're working on. It's my dream of utterly unaccountable government. <laughs> It's like CTU without all the accountability. Right. Uh, but uh, but the gist is they find out about something a very plausible uh, scenario, which is the ability to genetically engineer a virus to target only certain genes, which means you could target anything as specific as just targeting one person, like the president of the United States, or you could target an entire ethnic group. Um, and the idea of someone who's offering this to rogue states and dangerous groups and stuff like that. Um, hijinks ensue, you could say. Um, one part, like, really frightening Michael Crichton techno-thriller stuff. And one part, my usual wise-ass, snide, sarcastic references to pop culture and things like that. So it's an odd mix, but generally, generally people are enjoying it. Everybody check out Hunting for Horsemen. Everybody subscribe to The Morning Jolt. I would say if you're going to uh, subscribe to one newsletter, make it The Morning Jolt. Follow Jim on Twitter. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Oh, 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 oh